have a seat. <laughs> if you are up through fifth grade, now is the time for you to head to your Sunday school class and uh, do your very exciting thing right next to, do they use this door? It says don't yeah, that one. Grade. Not sixth grade. You're in yeah, sixth grade. Sixth grade. You are welcome <laughs> to stay here with us or sign up to help in one of these areas at some point because you are middle school and you're you're so grown up that we want you to help do things. So sixth graders staying here. Thank you. Seventh graders staying here also. But if you want to help with the kids, talk to Callie and sign up to help. Awesome. So that last song, do you believe that he is Lord of all? Through the storm, he is what you latch onto. And we're singing the song that our hope is behind the veil. That talks about behind the veil. The veil was in the temple um, during the Jewish times. And that's where the high priest could go once a year behind this veil to the Holy of Holies, the direct presence of God. Our hope is behind the veil. The veil was actually torn when Jesus died on the cross, meaning we have direct access to the Father. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a pastor. You have as direct access to God as anybody else in the whole entire world. And that's where our hope lies, is in our direct access to God and who he is. Um, what an amazing truth that is. You know, th this morning as I was going for a walk and I, I just walked around, walked up by the movie theater, looking at the city and I was just praying about what God would do. And I was looking at the city and just thinking, you know, the church was never intended to be its own little thing. The church was never intended to be a place you just go on Sunday and do your religious thing and go home. The church was always meant to be a movement. And if you read the book of Acts, you see that from the very start, the church was a movement and it wasn't a movement of people. It was a movement of God saving people and then changing people. And those people, their lives radically changed and then them digging into others and God using people. It was a constant movement and growing and expanding and people catching the vision and taking the gospel somewhere else. Um, and that still happens now. I mean, the church is still a movement, but we, we get buildings and we get comfortable. And so we have to guard against becoming comfortable and keep it going a movement. I just thought that, you know, I want to be I want to be going my entire life. I want to be part of the movement, expanding the gospel, seeing lives changed. I never want to become stagnant. And that, amen, <laughs> yeah, amen. And that was oddly what is lining up with today. We're, we're talking about all in is our series. Um, and today we're talking about stewardship. And as I was preparing for this, I was looking at regrets. And uh, if you talk to people later in their life and you ask them, what do they regret in life? Most of the time, it's things they didn't do. Of course, there's things that we've done that we regret, but most of the time, it's things that we didn't do. I didn't spend enough time with my family. I didn't travel. Those are the regrets people have at the end of life of what we didn't do. And I, I fear that at times. I fear the regret of, in the end, did I do everything I could for the kingdom? Now, you might be wondering what these are. This is our illustration for this morning. Whoa. So, in these jars, there is one bean for every week left of life for a 20-year-old. So if you are 20, this is how many weeks you have left, represented by one bean. So think about it. That's how many weekends you have left in your life. If you're 20, if you're 35, some of us are around that age, that is how many beans you have left. How many weeks you have left of life. 
You know, and this is a, somewhat of an apt illustration that, look, are we making the most of our time? Are we part of a movement for the kingdom or are we about ourselves? And so if you are about 35, this is how many you have. You could come up and you could actually count these and it wouldn't take all that long. That's how many weekends you have left in your life. If you are 60, maybe it's 65. I think it's 65. If you're 65, this is how many weekends you have. Now, I was up here with Doug, my father-in-law, earlier, and he's like, so I would be half that. <laughs> now, this is based on average lifespan of 80 years. And actually, for men, it's less. It's 76. For women, it's 81. But average lifespan of 80 years, that's how many you have. Isn't that somewhat... Um, it put the, puts things in perspective. We think we're going to live forever, but, but we're not. Again, 35-year-old, and maybe some of you are closer to 65 or a couple maybe beyond 65. Are you making the most? Are you making the most of every day, of every weekend, of every hour? Because as the scriptures say that it doesn't matter what age, but as we get older, we're still supposed to be green and full of sap. That means producing fruit in old age is what the psalmist writes. And so are we making the most of our time? Turn to Luke 19, if you would, please. Luke 19, verses 11 through 27 that Mary read earlier. Good job reading. Thank you for doing that. This is our, our second to last week in our All In series. And here's the reason we are doing this series All In. All In, it's, a, it's an acronym that we use for a mature Jesus follower. Uh, these are the aspects of a mature, a faithful follower of Jesus will have these things in their life. And this week it's invest. I invest my time, talents, and treasure in God's kingdom. Uh, because we at Common Ground, we, we really want to be part of a movement. It's important for us not to just have fun, although I think that's very important. It's important for us not just to go deep in the word, but we're about life change, your life change, my life change, and the life change of others that we have yet to meet or already are in our lives, but life change for the better. And so this is what a life looks like as you are faithfully following Jesus. The first one was plan A. Plan A is that I share a better way and there is no plan B. Plan A is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. There is no other God. There's one God. There's one way to salvation, Jesus Christ. And that message is shared through messengers, people. People. We are the primary voice for that message. The second one is love God. Everything I do, I do for God. And that is a big deal to us. Uh, if you see over here are three key relationships that we focus on. Up, that's up with God, in with fellow believers, and out with the world. The most important is up. The most important thing we do is love God. You were made, created to know and love God. And you will find the greatest joy and I would say even pleasure in knowing God, in loving God. And so that's what we wanna focus on. So a mature Jesus follower, there's somebody who focuses on loving God. They spend the time to go to his word. They spend the time in prayer. They seek after him. Uh, the next is learning and living. We live out God's truth together in community. Um, and so a faithful Jesus follower is going to be learning the word because this is God's primary message to us. This is how he communicates himself is through the word. And so we are committed to learning what it says on our own. We learn to feed ourselves. We eat not just once a week at Sunday. By the way, if the only time you crack your Bible is on Sunday, think of it as a meal, you'd be starving the rest of the week. So you need to be cracking this open. You need to be feeding on the word daily. And then we do it together, but it's, we live out God's truth together. And so we do that through communities. That's why we have our small group signups in the back. Those launch this week. 
So if you're in a group, this week is the first week. If you're not in a group, sign up, get in a group. Um, and then this week, invest, invest. Uh, American Christians, uh, America is the most generous country in the world. American Christians are the least generous Christians in the world. The average American Christian gives about two and a half percent. That's not great. Uh, time, talents, treasure is just part of it, but time and talents, are we investing our time? Again, you see our time is limited. Um, and our talents, the abilities we have, we're gonna look at these some today in God's kingdom. So we're looking at a parable in Luke 19, 11 through 27. This is the way Jesus enjoyed teaching. He would teach in parables. I wish I could go back in time and listen to him because Jesus was the greatest teacher to ever live. And he would take an earthly example, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. That's what a parable is, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And it seems like Jesus would just look around and see something and teach on it. He's like, the kingdom of God is like a mustard plant. And there'd be a mustard plant there. The kingdom of God is like a man sowing seed in a field. And they probably had somebody out there sowing seed. And so now he uses this example, something they would be aware of, this parable, this story. And if you were paying attention as Mary was reading, there's a few characters in the story. There's a nobleman who is going to receive a kingdom. That is Jesus. Jesus is telling the story, but, but he is the nobleman. He is the king because he goes to receive a kingdom and who rules in a kingdom? A king. And so he was gonna come back and be king. So there is a king that is Jesus in the story. There are faithful stewards. Those are Christians. Those are you and I who have by faith placed our, our, our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, trusted him for salvation. That's us. There is an unfaithful steward. And I would say that that is somebody who is probably in the church. They think they're saved, but they're not. And by the way, there's gonna be a lot of those. There's gonna be a lot of people in the end that stand before Jesus saying, didn't I do this and that for you? And he said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Because the true relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, is one of a loving commitment to him. And so there is a unfaithful, and then there's the rest of the world. And we'll see those in the story. So look at verse 11 with me, please. Luke 19, 11. Jesus had just been teaching, um, and as they heard these things, there's a lot of people listening, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem, moving toward his death. He wasn't gonna be around very long. He had quite a few followers. And these people were following, and they had an assumption and he, he points it out in verse 11. That's why he tells this story. Their assumption was that Jesus, being the Jewish Messiah, was going to go into Jerusalem and set up his kingdom right then and there. Do you remember when Jesus went in? It gives me chills. Um, when he walked in, we call it Palm Sunday, to Jerusalem a week before his death. What did the people do? They laid down palm branches. They, they laid, laid down their jackets. He rode on a donkey's colt. That's something a king would do, going to receive his kingdom. So they thought he was gonna come in and they're excited. Rome was ruling the Jews. Rome was ruling Judea. So they thought, yay, our Messiah's here. He's gonna take over and we're gonna have our kingdom back. Like in the time of David, when they basically ruled the known world there, that area, that wasn't what was going to happen. Because Jesus, we know now, as we know our Bibles, Jesus had to deal with sin first. God never wanted people to just follow him religiously. The Old Testament, yes, has a lot of religion, things that you do, but it was always pointing to a relationship with God. The problem with our relationship with God is sin. 
Sin breaks our relationship. And so God had to deal with that first because he wants us close to him more than anything else. Do you realize that? He wants you. He doesn't want what you can do for him. It starts there. He wants you and sin's the problem. So Jesus had to deal with sin first. So his first trip to Jerusalem, well, that wasn't his first, but his last trip to Jerusalem, he was gonna take care of the sin problem, not set up his kingdom physically, but he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's gonna set up the kingdom. So he's telling this parable to say, you guys think the kingdom's coming now, but it's not. And so here's what I want you to do in the meantime. And so we need to pay attention. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman, that is Jesus, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. So he's telling this parable, earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a spiritual meaning. This was a story they would understand because this was what happened. Somebody right now, Rome is ruling and Judea is not its own country right now. Judea is owned by Rome and run by Rome. Um, about 30 years before this, there was a king. You've probably heard of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, about 45 years before this, Herod the Great was, was ruling and he died. And when he died, there was kind of this uproar around Jerusalem and Judea area. And when that happened, uh, there was another king that was going to take over, Archelaus. And in the process of this uproar, he killed 3,000 Jews. And so obviously the Jews didn't like him. And he then went to Rome, from Judea to Rome, to go to Caesar to receive the kingdom of Judea. And that's just what they did. He went to go to the higher authority, Caesar. Caesar would anoint him king, and he went back as king. When this happened 30 years before this, he went, the Jews sent a delegation of 50 to Rome to fight against him being king. They said, we don't want this evil man over us as king. And so this is a real thing that happened. And so that's what people are probably thinking about as he's telling this. Yeah, we know what he's talking about. We were alive then, a lot of us. We've heard the stories. We know what happens. And so they have a picture. They know what's going on. They have all that it implies. But here's what it points out about Jesus also that I think is important for us. Jesus is a king. And we try and bring this up often, but we as Christians are sons and daughters of a king, meaning we are royalty, but we need to look at God as a king. When I was in college, I remember hearing a speaker, I think it was a professor, and he was talking about how he just, he liked to think about, he liked to pray to Jesus as a, a friend and he'd be driving to work and he'd picture Jesus next to him and he'd just put his hand on Jesus's knee and just talk to him. Um, and that's awesome because that's true. But if that's all your view of God, that's incomplete because there's also the aspect of God. If you read through scripture, anybody that's ever faced with God, what do they do? They fall on their knees in fear. <laughs> they shut their mouths. They're, they're afraid and they give him reverence and awe. And so we need to realize God is a king and Jesus is the king that rules and he has the right to rule and the authority and we need to treat him that way. And he is the king of, of this earth and all that implies. And so when he leaves, you see in verse 13, he calls 10 servants and he gives them each one mina. He gives them 10 minas. A mina was about three months wages. So we could say it's about $10,000. So he gave each one $10,000 and then he left, but he gave him a job. What, what's the job that he gave him to do? Um, 
in verse 13. Engage in business. So it's his money he's giving to them and he's saying, engage in business. Go make this work for his kingdom. That was the point. It never ceased being the king's. So he gave him 10 grand and it was still his 10 grand, but he said, use this, use it. You get to make all the decisions. I'm leaving town, but use this, engage in business, make a profit and I'm coming back. And so he gave them this job to do. Now later, if you notice, he only calls three people to give an account. So why the difference, 10 and three? It looks like the idea of 10 uh, has the idea of completeness. And so this refers to all disciples. This isn't just certain disciples, all disciples. And so he sends them out, tells them to do business. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So where do we live? Think about that. Look at this story. We currently live right between verse 14 and 15. Jesus has gone to receive the kingdom. By the way, he has all authority. He is the king, but he hasn't come back yet to set up his physical reign and rule, which he will. Right now, we're in the in-between time. You and I are disciples if by faith we have followed Jesus as Lord, meaning you have been given (laughs) $10,000. You have been given talents, time, talents and treasure to invest for the kingdom. And when he comes back, we're gonna give an account. And that's what he goes through here. They give an account. Um, Verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. 10 cities. Look at this. He comes back. He took 10,000 and he made it into 100,000. That's a pretty good return on investment. But what is 100,000 as it relates to a kingdom? Still not very much. Very, very little. But he was faithful in that very, very little. Um, But what happens is he is rewarded for it. He is rewarded. Um, Go back just real quick. Um, I kind of skimmed over this and that's my mistake. But looking at those, the citizens, uh, verse 14, the citizens that hated him and sent a delegation after saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. We need to actually look at that just a little bit because that's most of humanity. Most of humanity will reject Jesus as Lord, reject his kingdom. The idea of universalism is not true. And we'll see that later in this. Universalism is the idea that everybody is saved. As long as you sincerely believe something, you're saved. Or um, everybody's going to be saved because Jesus's death was good enough for all, which it was. But the idea of universalism says, you don't have to place your faith in Jesus. You just get this free gift without accepting the gift. That's not true. And so here, most of humanity will reject Jesus as king. And this happened soon after as Jesus went in. Remember, they they recognized him as king. And then he was before Pilate and Pilate brought Jesus out before the people. And he said, behold, your king. Now, Pilate didn't actually believe he was the king, doesn't look like, but he said it kind of mocking and taunting. He said, behold, your king. And what did the Jews yell? We have no king but Caesar. 
It was a very clear rejection of Jesus as king. By the way, many Jews did follow Jesus as Lord. Many of the Jewish leaders followed Jesus. But ever since then, now for the last 2,000 years, that's kind of been the cry of humanity. We reject Jesus as king. And we'll find anything else. Pretty much anything else is acceptable as a king other than Jesus. So that's most of humanity. But then there are a few who find him. There are a few who follow and are faithful. And when they are faithful with a little, they are rewarded greatly. Look at that. He took 10,000. He turned it into 100,000. And what's his reward? Look at his reward. 10 cities. 10 cities is his reward. So that's like uh, one of us getting Reno, Carson City, Garnerville, Minden, Sacramento, Auburn, Truckee, South Lake Tahoe, Las Vegas, and Elko. So you're given $10,000, you turn it into 100,000, and then you're given authority over all those cities. That's disproportionate blessing. That's what that is. Disproportionate blessing. And this is gonna come later with the unfaithful steward. But he blesses way beyond our faithfulness. Our faithfulness. Now you understand some of this, some of this stewardship. A steward is somebody who is responsible for somebody else's stuff. If you invest your money, if you have a, a mutual fund or a 401k or somebody like that, you give them your money and you're trusting them to do something with it to make it make money. And what do you want to give your money to? Somebody who's going to make more money for you or somebody who's just going to lose it or just put it, you know, just save it there. You want it to grow. You want it to expand. Jesus is doing the same way. That's his goal, that it would grow. And look now at verse 18. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. So again, disproportionate blessing. This guy took 10 grand, made it 50 grand, and he gets five cities. Disproportionate blessing. Verse 20, then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you, your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who had 10 minas. What's the problem with this third servant? There's a couple things. The problem with the third servant is that he's lazy and apathetic. But I think that is based on his incorrect view of God. His incorrect view of the king. Because how does he describe the king? He describes the king in a way that the king is not. He said, I was afraid of you. It's okay to be afraid of God. That's good. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Basically calling the king a thief. <laughs> you take what's not yours. You reap where you didn't sow. That's not God. But I think we see him because a lot of people view God that way. 
a lot of people view God as this angry person up above in the clouds, just, you know, burning us with, you know, like ants with a magnifying glass. You know, that God is severe. He's looking for people to punish, you know? And so there's this fear of, oh, I have to obey so he doesn't punish. This guy says he believes this about the king, but then he doesn't even take the time to take it and invest it in a bank. He's like, oh, you're severe. He's just making an excuse. He doesn't really know the king. And so the king says, I'll judge you by your own words. Although that's not who the king is. You know, part of me would say, define that for me, please. You know, Luke, as you write in there, tell us that's not how the king is, but he leaves that up to us. The king we see from before is actually generous. The king wants to share his kingdom. That's our king. Do you realize that? Look at this. The message to us, Jesus is gone and he's coming back and he's going to reward. And what does he want to do? He wants to share his kingdom with you and me. That's what he wants to do. Do you realize we get to rule with them when he comes back? It's gonna be awesome. That's why I'm counting the days because when that time comes, all of these days, these weeks are gonna seem like nothing. So what are we doing with it? Are we investing it well for the time to come? I think, you know, and, and some may disagree, but as I look at this, I don't think this third servant is actually a believer. I think there's somebody who looks like it. And the reason I think that is earlier in, in Matthew 25, 30, you see basically the same parable with some differences. And in the end, he is cast out. In Matthew 25, 30, that one is cast out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the picture of hell or Gehenna. There is a hell and it is the place where the unfaithful go. But anybody that follows Jesus will be faithful. Here's, here's a difficult point. This, is, this might rub you. There's no such thing as a saved person that doesn't result in good works for the kingdom. It doesn't exist. Now, we're not supposed to be fruit inspectors. I can't look at you and go, I don't see fruit in your life, you're not saved. Never go there. You're going to a dangerous place, but do it with yourself. Look in the mirror and go, do I see the fruit of a changed life? Because if you don't, there may be evidence that you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. The message of the Bible is very, very clear. When Jesus comes into your life, you are changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. I think one of the most destructive things that we've done in the last century is salvation by just praying a prayer. By the way, the Bible never teaches that. By just praying a prayer and now you have your fire insurance and you live however you want. That is evidence of a heart that doesn't love God. God wants us to obey him because we love him. And so if you go to the Bible, you go to your Christian life and go, what's the minimum that I need to do? What do I have to do? It's totally the wrong approach to life with Christ. Instead, you get to know Jesus. That's why we're good stewards, because we love him. Because our stewardship is a response to his grace. Do you know what you deserve? I know what I deserve. I deserve the lake of fire. I deserve to be cast in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know the wickedness in me. I know the things I've done but I also know that I'm gonna have grace when he comes back, I'm gonna be part of his kingdom. And that leads me to just wanna be his servant. That's the process. I, I hope we can hit that clear enough that we don't wanna judge others, but judge yourself. Are you a good steward with what God has given you? Do you have a heart for him? And you see here, the, the two faithful stewards, they were given a little and then they were given more. 
That's a, a principle you see. And that's a principle in this life too. And I think that's valuable for us to point out. If you're faithful in little things now, God can entrust you with more, leading to when he returns and sets up his kingdom, entrusting you then. But you see that. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph with the coat of many colors. We know that story. He was sold into slavery. And he goes and he's bought and he's in a, a rich guy's house, basically. And he's a servant in the rich guy's house. And he becomes so faithful there that he is put over the entire house until the rich guy's wife, you know, has a thing for him and tries to get him and he runs away and leaves his coat behind and she accuses him and he gets thrown in prison. In prison, he's faithful in little things. Can you imagine being in prison? I would want to just bide my time, but not Joseph. He's there. He does something well. We don't see the details, but he's faithful enough that he's put in charge of all the prisoners in the prison. So he becomes the leader in prison. So finally, he's taken out of prison. There's a lot more to the story. And he goes to the king, to Pharaoh. And he's faithful enough with Pharaoh that he becomes number two over all of Egypt. So much so that the Pharaoh didn't even worry about anything because Pharaoh was, because Joseph was handling it. King David, most of us know about King David. Where was he faithful first? As a shepherd. He was a faithful watcher of a few sheep first. When a bear or a lion would come attack, he would fight him off. He was faithful in little. Then he was given a little more and a little more. He didn't even receive his kingdom all at once. He was given a little bit at a time until he was faithful and God gave him it all. That's our life. How are you with the little things? Because if you're not faithful with the little things, don't expect bigger things. And what are those little things? Parents, how are we with our kids? That's a big responsibility. What do we do on our computer when no one's looking? That's a little thing, but it's not a little thing to God. Are we faithful in the little things? <laughs> what do you do on your taxes? <laughs> Are you honest on your tax returns? Or do you cheat just a little bit? That's a little thing. But if we can't trust God in those little things, how is he gonna give us more? Now, I want you to look at those two servants. What does it take to turn 10,000 into 100,000? risks. It takes, it takes risky investments, doesn't it? And we don't see the others. We don't see anybody who invests and doesn't produce something. That's not part of the story. The story is basically, if you're faithful, it will bring a reward. We might not be able to see them that tangibly, but there will be a reward. But they took risks for the kingdom. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to take risks for the kingdom. And look at this in verse 25. And he said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring, me he bring them here and slaughter them before me. He's making very clear, and we're gonna see this some in the next few weeks. We're getting back to John in two weeks, which is gonna be great. But that's very clearly, there is a judgment coming. And so in the end, we will stand before judgment. It will either be for rewards or it will be for sin and we will be condemned to hell for it. But how are we living now? And I'm going to assume, and this is a wrong assumption, I'm gonna assume most of us here have decided to follow Jesus as Lord. And so we need to be the good stewards. But if you're here and you have never decided that Jesus is the son of God, if you've never believed that he died for your sins and rose again, then you are either like the wicked servant in that you look good here, kind of, or you're one of the other ones that you just 
flat out reject Jesus as king, you will be judged in the end. But our God is gracious. And not only did he send his son to die for you and to cover your sins, but he wants to share his kingdom with you. He doesn't want you to be his lowly servant forever. He wants to honor you. It's for his glory, but he wants to honor you and share his kingdom with you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So our application is how can we be good stewards? Because that's what we're talking about, stewardship. A steward is somebody who controls somebody else's stuff. You're a steward. Everything you've been given, you're just, it's just for a little while. When you die and move on, what do you take with you? Your soul? <laughs> that's it. You're even getting a new body. So how are you with what you have? And how much time do you have left? How many beans are left, Doug? Like 15, 20? <laughs> No, I think it's more than, I think it's like 300. You have 350. <laughs> but count your days. Count your days. And so how are we faithful? Time, talents, and treasure. Time, talents, and treasure. That's what we can look at. That's what's helpful. Again, we want to be faithful to the word. We preach for life change. We don't get together just to hear a good sermon or whatever. We want life change. And so this is where we need to look at this. This is where I need to look at this and go, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? So how am I faithful? How am I a good steward in three specific areas. Time. First one is time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do you get that? The days are evil. It is really easy to spend all our time watching the new season of Walking Dead. It is really easy to spend all our time <laughs> doing something else, but make the most of your time because the days are going to fight against it. You're going to find other things to do. Some of you are laughing. You've been watching Walking Dead, haven't you? <laughs> Psalm 19:12. So teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. It's because of that verse that we did this. Number our days. The truth is though, we don't even know how many days we have left. I mean, that's if we live to a ripe old age of 80 or if we're blessed more. <laughs> and I know those in here that are still fruitful beyond that. But are we making the most of our days? My dad is, he just turned 62, I think. Oh goodness, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He just turned 62 day before yesterday, three days ago. Um, but we were talking on the phone recently, planning a family vacation next summer. And, and, you know, he wants to go out on a houseboat with, I have three sisters and they have a lot of kids and uh, we're like Catholic rabbits. Um, and so he wants us to go. Um, sorry, that's distracting. Anyway, he, he wants to plan this trip and I'm talking to him going, well, how much is that going to cost you? You know, we should all pitch in too. You know, I'm a church planner. My other brother-in-law is a church planner. Not a lot of money roaming around. He said, you know what? I don't know how much time is left. He said, I'm, I'm 62. He said, my dad died when he was, I think he was 63. Uh, my mom's dad died when he was 60 or maybe 59. He said, we have no idea how much, is, how much time is going. And so we want to do this. But now, and although that's valuable, this family trip is valuable, even more so, he and my mom went on a, a missions trip to South America, I think it was last month. And they did something that they haven't done a lot in their life of going door to door and different culture there, but they would invite them in and they got to see lives changed over and over, people responding to the gospel over and over and over. That is the proper way to invest time and money. They're a good example for me, but so there's, there's time. Are we making the most of our time? Talent, 1 Peter 
as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you realize that you are talented? We're gonna spend a lot of time actually on this next week, but you have value. You have something to offer the rest of us nobody else can offer. Do you know that? And do you know that if you don't use it, I miss out and everybody else misses out? It's not just that you need us, we need you because we're all given a talent. We're all given spiritual gifts and you'll find a list if you wanna look them up. Ephesians 4 has a list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12 has another list and 1 Corinthians 12 has another list. But I would, I would say those lists aren't exhaustive because the receivers of those letters had a list, but none of them had the whole list. So I think there's other gifts too. I don't think we're limited to that. And it's good to take a test and figure out what your gifts are. And that's one way to do it. But I would say the best way is get involved, get in relationships, get serving, and others are then gonna speak in and go, you know what? You're really good at this or that. But we have talents. You might know what they are, you might not, but those around you closest to you, they probably do know what they are. And you've been given those for a purpose. And Peter writes, it's to serve others, starting in the church and then out of the church. Be good stewards of what you've been given. You know, as I was thinking about this talent, I, when I was in high school, I was a wrestler. And I was one of those, I, I don't think I was a natural athlete. You know, I, I wasn't fast. I, I just wasn't a natural athlete. I had to work hard at it and I still wasn't great. But there was a guy on the wrestling team who was just a natural athlete. I mean, I think he was shaving in seventh grade. And so he was, one of, he was just big. He was just strong. Uh, and he was just good. He was just athletic. But he was the laziest guy in the workout room. He didn't work to get better. But I mean, he would, and I remember watching him in the state tournament, playing for the championship. And he just kind of took a knee in the middle of it because he was tired. <laughs> but he was so good. He didn't have to work hard. But that's kind of the idea. You have a talent. You have something you're really good at. And what this told me though, is am I investing in that gift and ability? Am I getting better? So for me, I have a gift of, of speaking, of teaching. Am I working on it? Am I getting better? Am I reading books about how to preach? But you know, am I, and then am I using it? And what about you? Are you working on your gift and are you using your gift for the benefit of others, not just to build your kingdom, but for the benefit of others? Time, talents, and then of course, treasure. And we've talked about treasure a lot lately. So I'll just read a couple verses. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You will be generous so that you can be generous, which doesn't puff you up, but it gives thanksgiving to God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That was Paul writing about giving and spiritual blessings that you receive. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know, I, I was listening to a story on the radio, I don't remember what station, but it was a guy who had been a librarian for like 60 years. He started when he was 20 something and he had been a librarian at the same library for his whole life. And in that time, he lived shrewdly, he drove old cars, and at the end of his life, he had $4 million saved. 
on a librarian's salary. And so when he died, all that four million he gave to the library. And I'm listening to it going, that's a great example, but how bad do we need libraries? <laughs> what, if, what if that money, I mean, we have Google now, <laughs> but what if that money was invested in the kingdom in some way? Libraries are great. My kids love it. But, but are we being good stewards with our money for kingdom work? For kingdom work. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. This is Paul talking about the race of life. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Here's the point. As an athlete works hard, ambitiously striving for victory, and they're doing it, and this time, this is Olympic games and races, you would get a wreath that you put around your head or your neck, and it was made of plants, so it was gonna perish. It was gonna be dead in a couple days. But we run a race, this race of life for the kingdom, and in the end, we're gonna receive eternal rewards. By the way, when we get those rewards and we stand before Jesus, you know what we're gonna do with them? We're gonna give them back. <laughs> Because we're going to stand before, and we know where it, all it came from, all it goes back to, the Bible talks about as crowns and jewels in our crowns. We're going to get crowns and we're going to get responsibilities. But when we're faced with Jesus, it's going to mean nothing. We're going to be so glad that we're before Jesus. Are we striving like an athlete, using what we have? Are we investing like a good stockbroker, other people's money, trying to grow it for them so you get more business? More? Is that the way we approach the kingdom? Or is Jesus just added to life? Is Jesus just a little piece that we do on Sundays um, and maybe, maybe once in the week we'll think about him and pray? Or are we ambitious to invest in his kingdom where eternal rewards come, not just for us, but for his glory? I think this is in your notes. As all in Jesus followers, we are committed to being good stewards of what God has entrusted to this, to us. Understanding this, we support common ground with our time, talents, and treasure. As ministers, we give generously and sacrificially to God and discover our gifts so that we can serve God through the church. We, uh, in two weeks, we're having, we call it the, an all-in dinner. If you haven't already decided Common Ground is your home church and committed to us and us to you, that's a good time to come and feel us out. We're gonna talk through this all-in stuff again. We're gonna talk about some doctrinal things. But the idea is that we are committed together to following Jesus. We're all-in for Jesus together. So the sign-up is over here. If you have not already committed, it's kind of like membership, but we don't do members. You know, membership is for country clubs and things like that. Um, instead, we are all-in ministers, meaning we serve one another. If you have not committed to us, we wanna commit to you also. So come to that. Just coming doesn't mean you're committing. Just coming means you want more information. Um, and then we'll talk and we'll share with you. And you'll have an opportunity to say, yeah, I want Common Ground to be my home, which means then we're committed to you and you're committed to us and we're part of this movement and mission together uh, to change Carson City and the world. Now, Alex is gonna hop up and he's gonna share about how we can invest because we believe that as leaders, uh, as Common Ground, as a church, one of our responsibilities is to help you and to, together to learn how to serve. So Alex is going to share how we can apply this truth of investing our time, talents, and treasure in the kingdom um, and give us some opportunities. 
close enough. You're short, Larry. I know I am short. That's all right. All right. Um, so those of you that don't know me, I'm Alex. Um, I'm an elder. Me and Derek are the elders here. Um, to start off, I did want to uh, just say thank you for this past week. Uh, so many of you know um, Kelsey and I, our son was in the hospital this week. Um, it, was a <laughs> it was a bit of a rough week, and it was, it was amazing to see uh, just the love and the support that, that just poured out here. Um, when I, uh, we were talking about blessings just now, and, and I was thinking this whole week, like, what does it mean to be blessed? Um, and I, one of the things that crossed my mind was, you know, we were able to walk through this week knowing that any need that came up, it was just, I mean, it was just instantly met, and it was, uh, it was truly amazing, and I, and I think it was a blessing because every time it happened, it just pointed us back to, to Jesus um, serving us and he, him doing it through his body. So, yeah, just... A, a, a heartfelt thank you to everyone. Thank you. Um, that said, um, this week I am introducing um, a partnership that we're going to be starting with a group called the Dream Center, which is this shirt right here. Um, it is a group that has 120 chapters worldwide. They started in Los Angeles. They do a lot of outreach, um, a lot of stuff that we've kind of done, um, going to some of the poorer neighborhoods and giving out meals and stuff like that. Um, and to start that, I want to do to first um, go to uh, in Zechariah. Um, this is right after the Israelites are coming back from exile. And they had this fast that they would do every fifth month as kind of a remembrance of the exile. And um, you'll see these, the, the town of Bethel sends this delegation to the high priest and, and asks them these questions. I'll, I'll read it first, and uh, we'll talk about it. Um, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the town of Bethel... I can turn the page while holding the paper. There we go. Um, the town of Bethel, Sherezar, or I'm sorry, not the greatest public speaker. Getting there, though. The town of Bethel had sent um, Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to seek the favor of the Lord, speaking to the priests who belonged to the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done for these many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? When you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and do not drink for yourselves? Are not these the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous along with its cities around it and the Negev and the foothills were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion, each to his brother, and do not oppress the, the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Um, now you may, may be wondering why I went to that verse. Um, what you see here is they had these kind of religious traditions that they, they had taken in over the years, and their focus was on keeping these traditions. What do we do with this? What do we do with this tradition? And so they go to the high priest, and Zechariah the prophet comes back and says, 
your focus is wrong. You're, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're so focused on these rituals that we do, not to diminish like coming to church on Sunday. The, the Bible makes it very clear we do this, and this is important. But you're missing something here. You're missing what is near and dear to God's heart, which is taking care of the poor, the widow, the orphan. Um, and you see it all through scripture. You see it in Isaiah 1. He says something very similar. You see it um, in Deuteronomy as they're setting up the law. God just pours out his heart showing how much care he has and how much love he has for the weak and the broken. Um, and so um, what I want to talk about today is that if your definition of worship is just coming here on Sunday, you're missing this huge part of it. Our, our worship of God, and Derek talked about it a bit, is done with our lives. It, 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 our whole life is in worship to God. Um, and so as you're going through your week, um, as you're going through, through life, it is, you're doing it with your, your focus on God. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is by serving the poor. Um, as I was kind of thinking through what I wanted to talk about, the reason I, one of the things that came to my mind is, you look at, Derek kind of hinted at it, but as Americans, we're very generous. Um, and I always wonder why. Um, and I think it's a great question to ask because you look at somebody who, who doesn't believe in God and yet they recognize that we should take care of the poor and the broken. Um, they recognize that if there's a widow who has a need or an orphan that has a need, that is a good thing to take care of it, that person. Um, and I ask myself why, because I look at the, the evolutionary worldview and I see no reason in that um, to take care of the weak. But what I see is I, I look at scripture and I see God's heart and I see that we are made in the image of God and that God cares about these people. And so we care about these people and, and we make it a point to serve them. Um, we look at, um, this is kind of all wrapped up under, under the term social justice. Um, God talks a lot about social justice throughout the whole word. Um, and, and, and this isn't like taxation, right? We kind of have this idea of like this is um, socialism or taxation. That is not social justice because that is not a heart that is involved in that, that is force giving. This is you caring about another because God cares about another. Um, and so um, I, I kind of wanted to introduce the Dream Center with that first to, to ground it in we care about them because God cares. Um, so don't worry about all the writing. I just think better when I write stuff out. Um, so yeah, the the Dream Center. We, as a church, we've gone to some of these motels and stuff, and we've had we've had impact. Don't get me wrong. We have definitely had impact, but we want to do more, right? We always want to do it better. Um, if you're going to go and do something, do it right. Um, and so we've been kind of trying to figure out how do we do this more effectively? How do we get people involved more effectively? And um, we got introduced to a group called the Dream Center, which they have a Northern Nevada chapter here run by a woman um, by the name of Susan, who is just amazing, amazing woman. Um, her heart is just so in the right place. It's not like a, this is my thing and we're gonna keep this. It is, you guys wanna help us to, to reach people with Jesus? Excellent, let's do it together and we'll do it even better, um, which is just amazing to see. Um, some of these many churches can unfortunately kind of hold on to some of these things. Um, and so 
we are going to start a partnership with them. They are doing many things. They have a food truck that goes out twice a month. They have um, what's called Saturday suppers once a month, which Paul and I actually went and did last night. Went to three different motels um, and handed out hot meals and groceries. Um, got to talk with people. I got to pray with a woman. Um, just doing amazing things. And it's a lot of the stuff that we've been doing in our church. And now we can do it even more effectively because they have a foothold. They have a plan. They have a facilities, they have a food pantry, kitchen, clothes, I, I mean, they, it's set up. And so what we want to do is come right alongside with them and just make it even, even more amazing. Um, and so um, we have some signups over there. Um, there's a calendar over there as well. I, we don't have a ton of copies of it, but if, um, if you want it, if you put your email down, I can email you another copy. Um, this is going to be kind of new. We haven't, they haven't done a partnership like that, like a big partnership with a group like this. So there might be a couple stumbling blocks along the way. We'll figure it out. Um, one thing we really want to do though, too, is we want to tie this into our small groups. If, if you're in a small group and, and you're going out and serving together, it's a great way to build that relationship even more. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys to think about that throughout the week. How am I worshiping throughout the week? And we want to give you guys these more opportunities to do that. So this is um, one of those ways, and I, I think a, a very important way because we are made in the image of God and, and God cares greatly about this. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna pray and then we will go into music. Father, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for this time to come together in corporate worship, to be with our brothers and sisters here um, to sing to you, to show our love for you. God, I pray that, um, God, I pray that you would just stir hearts. Lord, if um, someone is looking at their life right now and thinking, you know, how, how am I worshiping you? Um, and they see ways in which they can worship you even more or um, different avenues, um, God, that they would see where they're gifted and where their passions are that you have given them, God, and that they would worship you with those as well. Um, Father, we love you and uh, just praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>